The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. And we just signed our intro to this episode. It was fantastic. Too bad you couldn't see it because it was an ASL. If you were able to read that little movie drop, you will know what movie we are doing today. And it's one of the best horror movies that have come out this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I would probably put it as my number two for the year. But before we launch into that, let's take a moment to acknowledge that this is our one year anniversary episode. Holy moly! Admittedly, I, I wish that this was you know more than our 13th episode, but alas... Uh, life is busy, and sp- I mean, you know, averaging one episode per month isn't too bad. And hey, honestly, today's October 1st, 13 episodes, 13's a very magic number in the occult, it's October 1st, the signs are aligning and the universe is on our side. This is destiny. Yes, this is the year that we release many more episodes and become huge or something. That's right, we can quit our jobs. The dream will happen. We also have something very, very special for this one-year anniversary episode. Nathaniel, would you like to introduce your significant other? Yes. Uh, So this is my wife, Taylor Haslam. She is our guest expert this episode, as she is an American Sign Language interpreter. Do you want to say anything else about yourself? Maybe your favorite horror movie? Hello. Uh, Yeah, my name's Taylor. Um, I can never pick a favorite so my my top three <laughs> are silence of the lambs i actually really do love a quiet place and the ring well you just spoiled what movie we were going to talk about today sorry well no. you, you already said it <laughs> i did i did i signed it taylor taught me how to sign Okay, so I guess one of the first talking points we had is that Taylor actually has a little bit of a claim to fame or or a connection to to fame uh, relative to this movie. Do you want to share that? Hold on. Oh, okay. Taylor, I think you need to drop down your credentials and just tell us why you're an expert in sign language. Okay. Um, So I've been signing with deaf friends since the second grade. And then again in high school, and then I went to Utah State University and studied theater, deaf education, American Sign Language, and then I went and got into an interpreter training program and got certified through the state as a novice interpreter, and I'm going to be testing up to the the national level soon. That is quite a lot of credentials, more than I have. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and on top of that, she knows one of the actors in this film. 
Um, no is a strong word, but yeah, I about oh god, was it a year ago? I feel like thereabouts. Well, yeah, a little over a year ago. Um, a deaf person in the community was a film student, and they were making a movie, and they were asking for actors who knew sign language, and I happened to know her, the director. And so I drove out to Draper, Utah to film her student film. It was a Freaky Friday, but the deaf version, where it kind of shows that the hearing mother and the deaf daughter trade places, and they see what it's like in each other's shoes, and they have a better perspective of each other's lives. And it was really cute. And I was just a teacher. I had a very minor part, but I got to meet Millicent Simmons. Um, She just had to call her Millie. And I was actually really impressed with her. You know, when you meet those kids, that you just know that they are wise beyond their years or their prodigies. She was just like that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd sit and chat with her and I expected her to act just like any preteen or teenager. But she would, you know, immediately make eye contact with you and she'd listen to you and joke with you. And her linguistic skills were off the charts for her age. And I got to meet her mother, who was this amazing advocate. And she told me all about their journey into how they... Um, how Millicent, you know, decided to get a cochlear implant and how they decided to use sign language in the home because not every deaf or family with a deaf member does that. And it was really cool to meet her mom and see how much power she was giving to her daughter to make choices. I thought that was cool. Well, so I guess one thing that you mentioned there was just the idea of, um, you know, her daughter choosing to have a cochlear implant. Uh, now, cochlear implants are definitely a, a major plot point in the film as they are used to ultimately uh, weaken the aliens. Do you want to just maybe share a little bit of what a cochlear implant is for those who who don't know? Right. So I actually don't know if Millicent chose to have it. I actually think she was given one as a child. And I think that was from the decision of both of her parents. Uh, So a cochlear implant is a device that it's shaped like a snail shell because inside of our own ears, we connected to the brain, we have a cochlea which is part of the inner ear that is shaped like a snail. And so the implant goes in and tries to replace that part of the body. And you, on the outer surface of of your body, you wear a type of hearing aid with a magnetic connection. Uh, I'm not really too technically aware of how they work, but they definitely are used right in the film at least. (laughs) Well, and I guess one thing that maybe you can shed a little bit of light on is that it doesn't necessarily like restore hearing as as you as one may immediately think no it doesn't in fact my high school friend who has a cochlear implant would always tell me that it was more for him at least a series of beeps and clicks that he had to learn how to interpret as sound and so like you know we might hear for example someone clapping and he might hear it as a series of beeps and he had to figure out what different rhythms match different sounds. I don't know what the experiences of each deaf person is. And it's also good to point out that not every deaf person is totally deaf. There's a complete spectrum. I mean, any of us could lose a little bit of hearing or a lot of hearing. And I don't think Millicent is 100% from what I remember. I think she's probably, she's pretty up there. She's probably in 80 or 90th, you know, percent deaf uh, hearing loss. But I think it's important to remember that you can't just lump them all into one group. There's different skills and different natural abilities that come with that. Taylor, I mean, A Quiet Place for people uh, who maybe don't remember how amazing this movie is, kind of revolves around this alien society. They've kind of invaded and taken over Earth because they are hunters of sound. 
And so this family with John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, they've kind of adapted to living without making a lot of sound. And sign language is a huge part of the movie. That's how they are communicating. Um, do you want to maybe go into kind of the accuracy of A Quiet Place specifically and maybe talk about, you know, deafness is very pervasive in a lot of different movies, a lot of different TV shows. What are, you know, on top of the question that I just asked you, what are some of the the positives that you see about deafness and American Sign Language being used and also some of the things that maybe Hollywood hasn't gotten quite right. So I would say, honestly, I can remember all the questions. I know. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I, <laughs> oh, you're okay. a fountain of knowledge and I had to get them all out or I was well, going to forget I'll, it. I also am on medication for ADD, so you have to forgive me. So, so yeah, let's just yeah. start. <laughs> How accurate was A Quiet Place in kind of okay. demonstrating sign language? Well, first off, I will say this. The deaf community was so stoked when this movie came out. It was really sweet to see how many people were going in groups. Uh, I have a sign language club uh, group with my deaf friend on Facebook. And they decided, and we have over call, 200, 300 members. And they decided to all go to a viewing together, this huge special viewing that was just for Utah because she's from here, so that they could go see it. And it was really just cool to see how the community felt about it. So I, it's really pretty accurate in more ways than one. What I love about it is that I heard that Millicent is the one who taught John Krasinski and Emily Blunt and everyone else how to sign. And so they took the lead from her. And for me, that makes me geek out because that means they were giving empowerment to someone who is differently abled than themselves. Well, and, and I know that uh, in several interviews, uh, John Krasinski has talked about how he specifically fought and, and pushed to make sure that there was a deaf actress in that role. And that is amazing as well, right? Oh, sorry, see, I'm going to go off my own tangents, Max, so you're just going to have to deal with me, too. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm say, a tangent king. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to stick that. I was going to say, we'll talk about Hush in a minute. Don't let me forget. I do like... Ah, sorry. Drop the microphone. I do like Hush, but I'd like to talk about it as well. Um, oh, I keep saying, um, oh, and I always make fun of you. So... <laughs> You can cut this in post, right? Nope. That's <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, so the accuracy was okay. I want to talk about how it was accurate on more levels than just one. So in American Sign Language, there's not just one specific sign to every English word. Otherwise, it would just be a code for English on the hands, which it is not. It is its own language that developed, and it's actually mixed with French Sign Language not British sign language as, as you might assume. And they're also over time due to people like the famous villain to the death, Alexander Graham Bell, and that's a whole other tangent, and tried to invent their own sign language. And they called it English signing, where you try to, instead of using the proper ASL grammar, you, you put letters on everything. The most popular one I can think of is I love you. A lot of people will put their pinky up in front of their heart for the I love you. And really, you're just supposed to point to yourself. Um, and so Millicent has probably grown up with de meeting deaf people who use English signing and American Sign Language and all different mixes. And people make up their own sometimes, just like how every state might have its own lingo. Every country has its own, you know, jargon and things like that. Like, you know, if you compare British English to American English, we speak totally differently. And so what I really like about 
with Millicent is I, I can tell that she's, you know, she's not that old either. Sorry. That's another tangent. And so she doesn't have, she does have great linguistic skills, but she doesn't talk like a perfect ASL signer would sign. She does a lot of home signs. I noticed in the movie, some of the signs are a little English. Some are a little more pure ASL as purists call it. (laughs) And it was really cool to see that some of the signs that they did weren't necessarily the official ones that like, I, an interpreter, would have to use in a formal setting. Some of the signs were just kind of more natural, more suited to her age. And when I saw her signing with John and Emily, I was just so amazed because it wasn't just, we are speaking perfect, or signing, I should say. We're not, you know, we're signing perfect grammar all the time. No, they talked and signed like a family does. There are home signs, which are kind of signs that just get developed in your own house. I mean, imagine if you have a deaf child, you'd probably come up with your own gestures for certain things around the house if you don't know the sign for it. Kind of like, I mean, we do that with our hearing kids as well. Like, you know. Just ridiculous nicknames for stuff. Right. Yeah, you come up with your own things. So I just was amazed at how accurate it was, not just in that they were using sign language, but that they were using home signs and it looked like a family who knew a little bit of sign her parents even looked in the film her parents looked like they had learned a little bit but then they were cut off from the world so they had a little bit of that language and then they had a little bit of their own and i thought that was so cool (laughs) so i guess what makes that stand out as opposed to like other portrayals of deafness and and asl uh, that you'll see in media and i guess that yeah kind of led to my my second question was can you talk to us more about other movies that may have done this well or have not done it so well? So as far as deaf in the media goes, I, I really think that we're beginning to evolve. I would, you'd have, you definitely have to ask a deaf person their opinion on this as well, because they're the ones that, you know, see whether or not they are being represented. Uh, one of the most famous actresses I can think of who's deaf is Marley Matlin. I'm a huge fan of hers. She's, she's a good actress in general, but she also incorporates her deafness into her roles in such a way that is just very natural and very cool. My favorite role of hers is on the West wing, probably because she has an interpreter with her. And I I really like to, you know, slap my husband on the arm and go, that's what I do. That's what I do. (laughs) But, um, so you've got Marley Matlin and she has been one of the best advocates, I think for the entire country, probably in the history of media, as far as American sign language goes. I mean, I recognized her from, seeing her on Sesame Street as a kid. so True, yeah. She's very, and she's just a classy dame, so I like her. But there's, it's been hard for her to get roles. I remember she, I think she had like one season of a detective show, and it got canceled because she, you know, had to sign in it the whole time, and I don't think that garnered a lot of interest, which, you know, that is what it is. But I, it's really cool to see when deaf people actually get hired for deaf roles, that, I think that kind of you know, begs the question, should we always hire someone for a role who matches it perfectly? I don't know. Because I understand that art needs to take liberties because you, you're trying to convey a certain type of tone or message. But I also know that in hiring someone in the minority will lend to the authenticity of it. Like, for example, in Hush, I actually I really enjoyed that movie. Unless they were signing, then I wanted to rip my hair out. Yeah, and, and in the case of Hush, it was not a deaf actress. It was actually the wife of the director, Mike Flanagan. Right, and I actually think she was a great actress, but she signed like 
a novice student, like a first year high school student, which of course, which because she, you know, she's not fluent. I'm not saying anything bad about her, but when she signed, it just made me cringe. I think even a high school level two student would cringe. And so that was really annoying because it made me drop out because I could just tell that she wasn't signing accurately. It wasn't natural. She didn't have the proper accent or grammar, which is more on your facial expressions and anything. And I was really frustrated with the deaf community because I remember talking to people about it and I said, oh, did you hear there's a horror movie with sign language in it? Aren't you excited? And they would just roll their eyes and go, this was such a great opportunity to give a deaf actress the spotlight and show what our community can do and show that we're not, you know, all we're not mentally retarded just because we use a different language. And I thought, well, that's that's really true. And a lot of people were very disappointed, in the deaf community, I should say, were very disappointed by that. And I don't blame them. So I guess one thing that I noticed with A Quiet Place that I felt like it did a better job than most things that I've seen uh, signing in um, was that it did a better job of actually showing the signing uh, than a lot of other shows would do. Um, a lot of times, you know, especially if there's subtitles, a lot of times they don't frame the shots in a way that you can actually see uh, what their hands or their faces are doing, you know, because facial expression is a big part of sign language as well. Or, yeah, sometimes they'll, they'll show the reaction shots to what someone is saying in sign language before they're done saying it. And so, yeah, a lot of times we're, we're relying on subtitles, you know, and so even a, someone who is fluent in ASL can't really tell what's being said because their half of it isn't even shown. So I feel like they did a better job of actually showing uh, the signing, which I thought was refreshing. Yes, they definitely did. And I felt like it helped to show the relationship between, especially as daughter and father, because you got to see them put their whole body into it. And again, you really can tell that John Krasinski respects Millie just as a person in general, by the way that he allowed her to take the lead linguistically. I kind of, whenever I see people filming signing and they kind of only show their face it makes me laugh I think it's just because film and filmography they're usually more focused on how hearing people communicate so I don't think that they're trying to be offensive or anything but it really would be a lot better if they could show that whole body it's like when you're watching a dance movie or a dance show I remember I had a that uh, big band swing class with you and our teacher would always so he was so frustrated when they showed when they you know, watch a film with dancing in it because they would zoom up on the dancer's face, but you don't get to actually see the dance moves. And it's, it's, it's the same idea. It's very frustrating because I don't think they realize how the, you know, the filmers, I don't think they realize how grammatically important it is to have the whole picture. But again, I think it's just out of habit. But in, um, we were watching Castle Rock. We haven't finished quite yet, so no spoilers, people. I don't know how you contact me, but no spoilers anyway. <laughs> and um, the I'm pretty sure the actor in that is deaf, right? He is. He is. Okay. C.J. Jones. C.J. Jones. Yeah. And we were watching uh, the show, and I was like, oh, it's a deaf character. Oh, and, and to clarify, this is a character that's introduced, I think he's in like episodes like five and six. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I guess I should say spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, you know, he starts signing, and I, I immediately could tell that he was deaf and I turned to my husband really excited and I was like, I think that's a deaf actor. The way he's talking or signing is very, you know, fluent. It's, it matches his age and his diction. Everything was perfect. And I really actually lended to the horror 
again, spoiler alert, because it was really disconcerting for the main character at that point to meet someone who was obsessed with sensory and sensory deprivation. And that person was deaf. And it, the fact that he really was deaf and he had the deaf voice accent. So when he talked in English, he had that deaf accent and it actually lended to the creepiness of it. Not saying that the deaf accent is creepy, but you'd have to see that episode, but it lended to the authenticity. And I, you know, it's one of those times where, again, I really do think if you have a chance to hire a deaf actor, do it because you add more biodiversity, so to speak, to your film. But on the flip side, with when we were watching that particular episode, I noticed that you kept being really frustrated at certain parts where they would uh, focus on like a reaction shot uh, of the main character, Henry, as opposed to actually what the deaf a- actor was was signing. Yes, and that was frustrating. I mean, if you're a deaf person, you're using subtitles all the time. Well, um, again, it, it, there's a range of hearing loss, but you generally are used to using subtitles so it's not that you miss anything by not seeing them but the way that sign language works is that it is expressive and it takes a little bit longer on some to convey some thoughts than others it's just like when you're speaking when you're translating or interpreting something into chinese or spanish some ideas you can interpret with just a few words and others you need like an entire long sentence it's like when you watch an old godzilla movie and the when they talk over the translation and they're still moving their mouths, but you're waiting to hear the English. It's kind of like that. But I, yeah, again, it was really frustrating because they would cut away and I was like, but Mr. Jones, CJ Jones is doing so well with his storytelling right now. You wouldn't even need to know sign language to know what his character was thinking or going through emotionally or how much he believed in his convictions. But then they would cut away from it just to get a simple reaction shot of someone with their eyebrows raised slightly and that was frustrating because they, you could have got this whole picture and you could have got this person's physical. And, you know, again, I, I also majored in theater and I love the I love physical theater because I think that it draws emotions out of us in a raw, primal way. And so if I can combine my two majors there, I really think it would be smarter if you could show off the entire physicality of that kind of performance. And that was something that I I really loved about A Quiet Place is I felt like, you know, where we are so devoid of, you know, standard lines and scripts that these three characters really had to dig deep into their visceral emotions and visceral kind of acting. And that's what really, for me, made the movie scary. I mean... The scariest part was right at the very beginning when the poor kid gets killed by the alien. Yeah. And you just see their faces and Emily Blunt in that moment. You know, you always hear about being paralyzed with fear. And the way she demonstrated it was just mind-blowing. And it, it made you ache for her. And Exactly. And it goes into the scene, too, where she's giving birth and she's trying not to make this noise. And the agony that she's displaying on the screen is really where the true horror and true scare factor of this movie is. Because it was just intense. intense. Right. I honestly think um, Mrs. Blunt or Mrs. Krasinski, I don't know if that's her married name now but um i really think she should take up signing because she has the best facial expressions um you could also see i don't know if this is just me because i read people all day but you could also see different layers in her expression like yes she was frozen to death but you could also see her calculating like 
but if I move, I die too, or I could get more of us killed. And so she had to think logically and as a parent. And I think that was kind of what this whole movie was about. It was about how you protect each other as a family and how, how much, how far you'd be willing to go for one another and what defines family. And I, you know, but it beyond convention, it's not just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like we're kind of moving away from deafness specifically. So I just wanted to point out that I feel like, uh, especially Emily Blunt's performance in this movie is one of my very favorite parts about the movie. I mean, the, the tub scene was intense. I, I mean, still have nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as father of a two-year-old, I still have a lot of memories of Taylor going in to deliver our son. And just imagining that, but with just so much more danger and intensity. Uh, it, it was such a, a visceral, raw performance. And so I, I feel like she definitely deserves you know an oscar nod this year i hope we get several good oscar nods this year because it's been really a a great year for some some really great horror movies so going into you know we we've talked a lot about how much we've loved this movie kind of the scary parts of it is there anything that you would change taylor and nathaniel Hmm. or anything maybe you didn't like about the movie or think they could have done something better anything really you know they're pro I've only seen it twice now and I'm sure if I watched it again with a critical eye I could find something but I think I liked it as a whole because it was just very it felt very natural like I mean even the very opening scene they're in a store and there on the shelf is a bag of Doritos that no one has touched because we all know how noisy it is when you open up a bag of chips ah oh, I just felt like there's so much attention to detail and isn't this John Krasinski's first film it's actually his fifth film oh is it really okay well, he's still good yeah, on you, mate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of anything I would change. Nathaniel, uh, how about yourself? Yeah. What do you? Nothing's really coming to mind. I, I just felt like it was, yeah, like like Taylor said, really balanced. You know, I, I felt like yeah, a lot of the attention to detail was very good. I mean, there was a few things like on the second watch that I kind of, pointed out as, oh, like, maybe they could have done this instead of this in terms of how they're surviving relative to, you know, being silent. But, I mean, but I felt like I was I was nitpicking, honestly. Like, it, it's it's the fun, oh, hey, taking a step back, I, I can point out, you know, how I would survive this apocalypse better than they would. But, you know, it that that's honestly the extent of, of any criticism that I've had for it. You? Um, I, I don't know if it would be criticism, but it's something that I kind of realized after watching it a second time was the magic and kind of the horror was broken for me the second time that I've watched it. You know, I, I have horror movies that I can watch routinely, Hereditary being one of those that, you know, I've watched it three times now and every single time I watch it, it's, it just terrifies me. And this movie was was very scary the first time I saw it. It was in the theater. Everyone was trying not to make noise. But the second time, I don't know, it lost some of that dramatic effect for me. And it kind of, it almost was boring at parts. Um, And that's not anything that they could have done better. I think just where this is a very silent movie, 
Um, it, it's really hard to get into that horror unless everyone around you is silent and you kind of create an ambiance for that. If that, any of that makes sense. Right. And to be fair, we were all being stupid friends and making jokes, not about the movie, but just jokes in general the whole time. <laughs> but even that, I, I think is the issue that I was having that, you know, there are some horror movies that I watch and I want everyone to be very quiet because it's so intense and it's so crazy. And I, unfortunately I think this one where, you know, there isn't that, that vocalization. I, I, I don't know. It was harder for me to pay attention. It was right. easier and, for me and to And we had all seen it already as well. So I think we were, we were more in a reviewing set of mind. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that really it, it probably doesn't even necessarily have to do with the silence of the film as much as it probably just does with the fact that a lot of the intensity of the experiences is kind of grounded in the the mystery of it. And so if you know, you know, kind of how these aliens are working and, and you know, know what's going to happen, I, I feel like some of the tension really does dissipate more so than a lot of other movies. And so... It it certainly is rewatchable and, and enjoyable on rewatches, but yeah, it, it, I will say that the second time it wasn't nearly as powerful of a viewing experience for me. And I don't want to say that it, it's not a powerful movie. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, it's one of my favorite horror movies this year. Um, but I think where it's a step below Hereditary is that I can watch Hereditary over and over and be terrified every single time. This one, now that the illusion's broken, it's hard for me to to really feel that terror anymore. Right. One thing I want to ask you guys, though, I've been dying. How do you think, if you lived in the universe of A Quiet Place, you would pee without making noise? <laughs> pee into a sponge. Yeah. Hey, that was my idea. Thank you. I don't know. Use adult diapers or something. <laughs> Ooh, really? But then you'd have to take it off with the Velcro. I mean, a sponge is essentially the exact same thing. Right. But without Velcro. <laughs> you don't wear the sponge. <laughs> How do we know? We don't know what Nathaniel does with his urine sponge. He's not sponge worthy. <laughs> oh, gosh, this is weird. That's a Seinfeld joke. Sorry. <laughs> Seinfeld reference. Uh, deep cut. Deep cut. Yeah, sorry. No, that, yeah, there are different things. I wonder. I don't think. I really don't know if anyone in the population could survive a death place, or sorry, death place, a quiet place. <laughs> I think it was really fun though, too, especially seeing it in theaters. Just kind of the dread and the terror that it created. And like, this, yeah. I was afraid to eat my popcorn too loud. Oh, <laughs> like, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Everyone was. I think. I think that was a movie more than any other movie where people bought popcorn and didn't eat it until the very, you know, until the end credits rolled and then they're like, Oh, cold popcorn. (laughs) And I, I think that's what I'm trying to get at with kind of my critique of it was once you've seen it, that kind of novelty of the movie is, is broken and it doesn't really. Right. Because you know, when they're going to trigger what, right. Right. So I think you could rewatch it if it was different people in the same universe though. Yeah. Yeah. And along those lines, A Quiet Place 2 has been announced. So is Millicent going to be in it? Um, I don't know as far as what the cast is going to be like. Uh, All I know is that it's the same uh, screenwriters and John Krasinski is involved in at least a producing role or something. I don't know. Ghost, spoiler alert. (laughs) Well, I I think just more on the behind the camera action. 
I know. <laughs> or or I wonder if they're going to do kind of like a, an origin story of how this happened and, and all of that, you know. That would be interesting. I also actually really like seeing how the creatures worked. In some movies, it's a lot scarier when you don't see a creature all the way or that often. But I loved when they opened like the... the uh, like ladybug wings on their head and you got to see how their ears worked because it, it seemed so well researched <laughs> yeah i i definitely a shout out on the creature design uh for this movie that creatures looked awesome and yeah like the more you saw them the more you're like man those are really freaky so let's give our crowns and our screams for this movie who wants to well, go first before we do that We've been really mean to the other main actor in this movie, you know, the the son of the movie. We we haven't okay. even mentioned him in any way, shape, or form. So, Noah Jupe, you did a good job. <laughs> anyway, sorry. It was just that, like, there, there was even one part where we said, like, man, those three actors were so good, oh, but poor kid. I mean, in our defense... He did a good job. He I don't did. know. I, I was kind of upset with him. <laughs> he did. He did a good job, but he was overshadowed by three phenomenal other actors. I'm sorry. Right, and the fact that Millie is not, you know, she's not like a seasoned actor or anything. I'm sorry. She's she's amazing. I need to be a good deaf ally and go see Wonder. Is that Wonderstruck? I think she's in another movie. I need to go see. <laughs> yeah, she's been in a couple movies now. Okay, so I guess I'll go first after my little aside as far as screams go i thought it was scary but not too terrifying i'll give it a five because the the intensity of of the bathtub scene is is mostly where i'm basing that in but yeah a solid five like not horrifying nightmare inducing but had some really solid scares and as far as crowns go, I'm going to give it a 9, because uh, even though it didn't quite hold up as well on the second watch in terms of intensity, I still just think it's a very well-constructed film. Just, yeah, as far as the writing, the acting, the directing, uh, cinematography, the works, I, I am just impressed with it in general. And I originally gave it a 6 for some screams, but after we've kind of had this conversation and I... I talked about how kind of a second watch kind of watered down the horror. I actually dropped my screams to 4.5, if I can have a medium number. 0.5, really? <laughs> I could have done like 4.762, but I figured I'd I would up. not put that past you. <laughs> I'm not um, doing the math on that. <laughs> I, I really think the bathtub scene and the child death child death the son's death in the beginning were really the two hallmark scary moments of this movie there was a definite sense of dread throughout but as far as being scared eh, I, w I wasn't very scared i was more on the edge of my seat waiting to see what would happen next um i agree with nathaniel though i gave it a nine for crowns it's a splendid movie very well put together very well shot the music was phenomenal Jim from The Office really took use of all of Dwight's skills that he picked up while he was at Dunder true. Mifflin. Oh yeah, uh, didn't you? Oh yeah, this is your theory, Max. He said that they're actually living on the beet farm. Dwight didn't make it. 
<laughs> he didn't. He was too noisy. It's probably Moses' fault. Um, <laughs> oh, poor Mose. Yeah, I, I don't know. Mose is pretty good at being quiet and blending in the background. Maybe he's one of. Maybe he's the guy that loses his wife and so screams himself to death. <laughs> Uh, but overall, I consider A Quiet Place to be one of those hallmark kind of gateway horror movies that if you really want a good horror movie and you're trying to get into the genre, this movie is fantastic for that. It's a great, you know, PG-13 Halloween night. You want to watch something, but you also don't want to be possessed by demons. This is a good one to go with. Yeah, and I guess to echo that, when when this movie first came out is when I interviewed dan wells and uh, if you remember from that episode he specifically mentioned this and how you know even members of his family who aren't horror fans were excited to go see it so you know it, it really has drawn in much much bigger audiences than they ever expected it to uh and and i think it's well deserved i'm glad that this movie made a lot more money than they expected it to and i think it, it earned it Okay, now Taylor. So I gave it seven screams because there are many movies where I can take my mom hat off. This was not one of them. And the entire time, I almost felt like I was responsible. I was, like, scared to – yeah, I didn't I didn't have food or water that entire movie. I was terrified that my body would portray me in some way like a fart and that I would kill the characters on screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, that's yeah. Good, and That's a good point, though, Taylor. Yeah. Which I think was Beautiful. kind of led into the theater idea that if you made noise, you were going to somehow affect the movie. Right. And then another thing I don't think they planned on is that people would tell you about the movie, but they're like, I'm not going to spoil it. But you don't want to like make any noise. I think I actually had someone tell me not to bring food because they did and they were so embarrassed. <laughs> so I think it was really cool that people rallied around each other like no spoiler alerts, but it's intense. And it was kind of cool to see the like people who even aren't in the horror community take part of that. Anyway, yeah, so I gave it seven screams and not just because of the bath scene, but the stepping on the nail scene. I would have shouted I would have just cussed a, a you know, giant blue streak and I would have died right then and there. Another thing I want to point out is I'm very glad that Emily Blunt's character did not have Nathaniel as a midwife because he was so terrified when he found out I was pregnant. When I talked about how excited I was to get pregnant, he would turn pale. And when I was giving birth, he needed more help than I did. <laughs> so okay. anyway, I just want to... <laughs> no, but to go on that tangent... Um, what were Emily Blunt and John Krasinski thinking about having adult relationships without using protection? Right. Uh, yeah, this, scream. This <laughs> is what we should use in high school for sex education. <laughs> right? Hey, like, come on, guys. Make better sex. choices. <laughs> Maybe they were scared of the rubber squeaking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, anyway. that, that part always was like, you guys... Yeah, Come how did, how could you? Yeah, well, I guess we don't know how long. Well, do we know how long? Yeah, well, it was like day four hundred and something. Oh, after just a little over a year. So then, yeah, no, use protection. So like five months into the apocalypse, like yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, if you on, if you didn't have any kids left alive, I would understand being like the world's ending. Let's make love, but <laughs> I get no, yeah. Protection can um, be great for you. We need to make that into a Scream King shirt. The world is ending. Let's make love. <laughs> and then on the back, if, um, in the absence of apocalypse, use protection or something. 
Um, or in sound based apocalypse. In sound based apocalypse. Oh, that's <sighs> okay. Oh, and crowns. I didn't say. I want to give it ten crowns because I, I just loved it. And I think part of it is I am biased because um, the deaf community has allowed me to participate in their cultural awesomeness. But yeah, I give it ten crowns. <laughs> well, and I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to see a movie like this allowing a minority group to kind of participate in pop culture, especially, you know, a minority group that a lot of people don't understand. There's a lot of stigma associated with it. Oh, you so know, much. <laughs> I have so much respect for the deaf community, for you as well, Taylor, and and to finally allow them to to take a step into the, the spotlight where maybe right. they haven't had that chance before. Yeah, and the more I think the more we can do that the better. And I think that actors like Millie, they they show directors that it's worth it to go a little extra mile to include someone who's differently abled because I think even as I was talking to people, I would I, you know, I'd brag, "Hey, I met Millie once." And they were like, "Oh, she's actually deaf." And people would become more impressed. And I think it just shows that just because you're differently abled doesn't mean you can't have a career like anyone else. And I think that's important for not just the deaf, but you know, anyone who's differently abled. Who are we if we can't protect them? I guess along those lines, one thing that we want to talk about is that it's just kind of interesting to see that deafness in horror has kind of popped up uh, much more frequently in the last couple of years than, than one might expect. So yeah, we were just kind of talking about this before we started recording that, you know, there, there's of course, the movies that we've talked about, Hush, A Quiet Place, um, and then, you know, the uh, TV series Castle Rock. Uh, but, yeah, there's a, another instance, uh, a movie that you guys didn't see, uh, Unfriended Dark Web. One of the main characters is deaf, uh, and the very main character is actually is, is dating the, the deaf character and is uh, trying to develop a... Like software to help him sign better and and to uh, communicate in sign language uh, by typing something in and then like having videos of him signing it. So it's just kind of weird to see how it's popping up again and again and again in, in in horror film in general, kind of just unexpectedly over the last couple of years. Yes, I hope it pops up more than just horror too, because I feel like they're almost saying look how much more terrifying the world is because they're deaf. And it's always, they can't hear who's behind them. And so I, and I do think, you know, yeah, that would, that is part, you know, that is, that adds to the horror. And I don't think any deaf person has been offended by that. Uh, probably because they're just so busy being excited about the fact they're resent, represented at all. But I think we could hold it to even a higher standard. And I hope we have more people in different kinds of roles as well. All right. Well, I think that's kind of all that we had for this episode. I myself just want to thank our dear guest, Taylor. You're always a fountain of knowledge. It's so much fun to have you on the podcast and kind of getting your insight into, into this movie and really digging deeper and behind the scenes kind of a an aspect it's very appreciated yeah it's it's fun to hear taylor's voice more than just our fun disclaimer at the beginning yes <laughs> well you're not supposed to reveal me <laughs> oh we already have sweetheart <laughs> oh dear <laughs> yep yeah, we're, we're revealing all parts of you um <laughs> oh wait no that's just for me uh, yeah max isn't in the room so you really should be careful how you phrase things <laughs> 
Um, what was our little quip that we just created? The apocalypse is coming. Make love now. Let's make it obvious. <laughs> well, I would like to think that if the world was ending, Nathaniel and I would be like the Adams family, like Morticia and Gomez, and just you know, just kiss up my arm. Who cares? Devil may cry, <laughs> or devil may care. That's a game. <laughs> I I love it when you sign instead of speak French. I do speak French too, though, so well, I think Gomez wouldn't be able to handle me. <laughs> all right, you two. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family somewhat friendly podcast oh yeah very family friendly yeah. especially when you summon the demons yes in episode two well, Max were, does, I, it was episode three and they were friendly demons and max did does have a t-shirt showing kids in a pseudo retro <laughs> style saying let's summon demons so <laughs> i guess it is family friendly brought to you by mattel Parker Brothers. Who makes Ouija? Hasbro? Hasbro. Brought to you by Hasbro. Nathaniel, do you want to give us our shout out for all our wonderful social media avenues? Yes. So we, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Scream Kings. You can find us on Twitter at Scream Kings Pod. We have an Instagram that Max is supposed to do something with, but that hasn't happened yet. Honestly, I totally forgot we had an Instagram <laughs> until right this minute. He's, well, to he's be fair, busy taking care of his daughter. He's as good a dad as John Krasinski. <laughs> things will be forthcoming, my fellow creepy friends. And we also have a Patreon. <gasps> Pause. I just had a brilliant idea for the Instagram, so go check our Instagram out. It's going to be 31 days filled with demons. Oh, I'm so excited, guys. Oh my god. Nice. Speaking of also 31 days of stuff for the month of October, on my personal Twitter account, at NJDarkish, I have a fun horror fact every day. Today's was about Get Out. Um, and then, yeah, finally, we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash screamkings. We would love to take your money. <laughs> Please do patronize them. And I am out of things to say. I am going to start saying them in sign language, so... Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Stay spooky, my lovely friends. (laughs) And thanks for a great year. Bye.